Welcome back to Mars The Word, the global health podcast. My name is Amaya and I'm a fourth year medical student and I'll be one of your hosts for today. And alongside me is Arifa. Hi guys, I'm Arifa. I'm co-hosting alongside Amaya and I'm a researcher working in consultancy firm. Today with us, we have the scrub duo, Dr. Ams Chowdhury and Dr. Abdul Rayed. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. And without further ado, like, please do introduce yourself. Thank you guys for inviting us onto the show. So yeah, a little bit about me and then I'll let Abdul tell you guys a little bit about himself. Uh, my name is Ams, everyone calls me Ams. I'm one of the co-hosts on Scrubbed In. Scrubbed In is a podcast that started off as a story about basically how myself and Abdul went from our local boroughs, we grew up on the council estates from state school backgrounds, and how we essentially made it into what we would say our dream careers of becoming doctors. So we sort of went through our journey on the podcast and we grew a massive audience that we didn't actually expect. And from there, it's just gone from strength to strength. And now we share the story of others. Yeah, so that's it in a nutshell, scrubbed in. Hey, everyone. Thank you again for inviting us onto the show. We're super privileged. My name is Abdul. I'm the other co-host of Scrubbed In. And like Ams mentioned, it was just a hobby where we wanted to share our story and our journey into medicine. And now it's kind of transitioned where we share the stories of, you know, incredible people in healthcare. And we're both junior doctors working in London. So yeah, thank you once again for inviting us onto the show. Thanks. We're glad to have you. And you mentioned that the podcast was first started off as a place to share your experience getting into medical school and the entire journey there. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? So I think at first it was difficult to imagine myself as a doctor, coming from the background that myself and Abdul come from. So I, I grew up in Tower Hamlets and I went to a state school. I went to Swanley School and I went to City and Islington Sixth Form. Those schools had hardly a track record of getting anyone into medicine. I did want to become a, a doctor because I wanted to make an impact and it naturally fell in line with the things that I was good at. I was good at biology, chemistry. I was good at communication and I naturally sort of felt that I did want to become a doctor to change people's lives. Now, the thing is, it was always a dream. And a dream is sometimes you can't achieve it. You wake up from it. And um, so I always just harbored that in within myself. And anytime I did express that to teachers, it'd be like, ah, oh, come on, you need to be a bit more realistic with what you have available to you. So I sort of secretly always said that I'd become a doctor, but I never told anyone. And I think naturally back then growing up in what, what was it, 2004, I was in secondary school. If you did well, naturally you'd aspire to law, engineering, and medicine. They were the three topics, subjects, and career pathways that you'd want if you were doing well. So naturally, I was aspiring to that. And I think it never really dawned upon me that I could do it until one conversation with my uncle. So we were driving to somewhere, I forgot where we were going. And he asked me, what did I want to become? And I remember still saying, I told him, I want to become a doctor, but I don't think I'll get there. So I'll probably become a pharmacist. And I remember him, he turned to me that day and he said to me, no, 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 I didn't ask you what you're going to become. I said, what do you want to be? And I said, well, I want to be a doctor. And he goes, that's it then. That's plan A. There, there is no plan B. Plan B, C, D, and everything that comes after that is still how to become a doctor and how to get there. So after that discussion, I guess, my heart was set on it. And so I went to college and I got through AS year and we got our grades. And I think for the first time, I got AA and BB. But the fact that I got A's really opened my eyes up to the fact that, hold on a minute, I can get the grades that I need to get into medicine. 
And so I remember essentially going back to my teachers and saying, look, you know what? I want to do medicine. You have to predict me all A stars. And after a lot of begging, after a lot of crying, they eventually did. And yeah, that was the key that unlocked the door to university for me. And I managed to get myself into medicine. I eventually obviously completed my uni at King's College London. And now here I am as a doctor. And I'm ever so grateful to the Almighty. Awesome. And Abdul, is it the same kind of story for you? Yeah, I don't know how I stumbled into medicine, if I'm honest. I was never the smartest person in the room. It's only when I was epically failing all my exams. I don't know if they still do it, but year nine sats, I didn't do too great. And my mom was like, look, we're not too fast. You know, I never had the pressures as you'd imagine, you know, you need to become X, Y, Z, or you need to pursue a certain career path. But she was like, why don't we get you a tutor who will help you pick up your grades. And as long as you do well in your GCSEs, you'll be all right. You'll have a good base and you can do whatever you want afterwards. So I managed to get a solid math tutor who happened to go Harvard and was a city banker and kind of spending time with him. Not only did my grades improve, but it opened up my eyes in terms of the world that was out there. Obviously, both me and Ams are from like the council estates from a certain type of background and demographic. So seeing the careers and options out there wasn't straightforward, it was obvious to us. Even when applying to medicine, no one really knew the process in our school. We didn't know the value of mentorship. We barely knew how to do a UCAS application. We needed certain type of work experience. I think having done my GCSEs and then realized, okay, I did good enough that I can potentially apply for med school was when I kind of buckled down, went and did some work experience in a care home, in a hospital, realized, okay, this is something I can see myself doing and trying to reach out to as many people. You know, Instagram, social media, so accessible today for so many people, but I think it was really, really different. We just went with the process, work experience, personal statement, interviews. Lucky enough, things fell into place and I got into med school. And here we are now, probably a decade later, I feel so old, working <laughs> as junior doctors in London. Okay, guys, that's, that's really inspiring for some of us who actually come from those similar backgrounds. And what's been the biggest challenges so far then, other than like the whole, you know, being in school and not having the kind of role models that you were probably expecting to have. And, you know, a lot of people probably do today um, and not having the accessibility to social media, all that kind of stuff and having inspiring people in your life at the time. What's the biggest change and what's the kind of biggest challenge you face in your roles as junior doctors so far? I think the biggest challenge I face is... Yeah, it has to be probably the one that everyone faces, and that's imposter syndrome. So the thing is, though, I always thought that I could prevent myself from feeling like an imposter because throughout university, I studied hard. So I I was in the library hours on end. Abdul knows about it. It was in a silent study room. No one <laughs> made a peep of a noise. Um, and I'd study everything from cover to cover, loads of different books. So I thought I'd always protect myself from that. And then I qualified and then you go into the wards and the nurses and everyone are asking, okay, need to bleep the doctor, the FY1 for this patient is having chest pain and it's you now. And you're like, oh my God, now it's me. And like, am I making the right decision? I've learned as much as I can about having a heart attack and everything around that topic. Yet when it comes to it, it's like, what's going on? What am I doing? Why am I the one making the decision? I have to ask for help. And then you go through the years and foundation training supposedly trains you and it's supposed to drum out the imposter syndrome. But even now I work in the A&E department and sometimes I think, wow, like I don't feel like, I feel like I've got the knowledge, but I can't apply the knowledge or I feel like, what am I doing? Why am I here? Am I supposed to be the actual doctor treating this patient? 
and it's hard. It makes you think a lot about where you are and whether you deserve to be there and you question yourself sometimes, which can affect your performance at the same time. But I think one way that I get over that challenge is that I've got a great, great support network around me, right the way from my consultants that look after me, that supervise me, that mentor me, to Abdul, who's always here by my side, to my wife, to my family. I think I've got the right support network around me that make me partially not feel like an imposter. So yeah, that's that's my biggest challenge. And uh, I picked up on something that you said there, which was that Abdul's name came before your wife. So I think that... <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, my wife's going to kill me for that. <laughs> so I wanted to ask specifically on that. Could you guys tell us a little bit more about how you both met? We met a long time ago. So we both going to med school. We both went into King's. And you kind of come in for those introductory lectures, for those introductory sessions. And obviously, everyone probably turns up like 45 minutes early, half an hour early. I came in late as per usual. And I kind of walked in with like trackies on trainers, right? Did not look the medical student parts at all. I came into the room rushing and there was a space next to AMS. So the first person I sat next to was AMS. And I think we introduced ourselves and we kicked off straight away. And I think the fact that we are both from a similar background, a similar demographic, we had a similar journey, kind of started this bond and brotherhood between us. And since then, we did kind of all our placements together, all our peripheries together, up until, you know, foundation training. And obviously we're doing the podcast now together. Let me tell you more about my first impressions though, which was really funny. So obviously, Abdul said that he rocked up to the first day in Traxy Bombs and Trainers, right? So here I am, by the way. So I've made it from Tower Hamlets and everything. So I'm feeling like, yeah, I dressed up like shirt, trousers, shoes. And then on the first day, right, I, I decided to like, I screened the room and I sat next to where the clever people look, clever looking people <laughs> sat. Strategic. So I sat there, right? And then he walks in and he scans the room as well and he sits right next to me, right? And do you want the first conversation we ever had, the first conversation we bonded over, right, was Abdul asked me, yo, did you see what happened in the Tottenham riots? And I was like, I did not come to med school to discuss like that kind of behavior. <laughs> I was like, is this guy a criminal who's yeah. come and sat next to me? <laughs> um, so that was our first discussion that we essentially hear off on. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, um, I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's luck, but because um, it was, was it a, I think it was the summer of 2012. Obviously, it was the first time London saw anything like this in a very, very long time. It was on our doorsteps. I saw it. And obviously, it was talk of the town. So I went into med school thinking everyone else is like me, you know, <laughs> we're from the, you know, from these environments and kind of like, yo, did you see what's happening? Did you go check it out, et cetera, et cetera. But I think, other than that, it's we still had we were very ambitious and even till today and hungry and kind of wanted to do a lot, kind of help progress in society. So I think the underlying aims, ambitions, our goals we wanted were, were the same and yeah. we resonated with each other and we were aligned in that sense. Um, and since then, obviously, both the highs and lows of med school we've done together pretty much, which made sense as to why we kind of started scrubbed in and became co-hosts of that to not only share our journey to inspire and motivate others, but also to share other people's journeys mm. um, with everyone across the world. And it sounds like you guys started that as kind of a shared project, but it, I think the, the way that you guys spoke about it, it also sounds like it came about quite casually. Am I right in thinking that? Was it, were you guys aiming for it to be as big as it is now? So I'll tell you what happened. <laughs> and um, it really did happen by accident. 
of all things. And I know it always sounds funny and cliche. And I want to go back onto the, the question you posed earlier in terms of the challenges you face as a junior doctor. So one of the challenges I faced as, as like a, a newly qualified graduate or a newly qualified doctor wasn't the medicine or kind of being a doctor. It was, I didn't get my placement to practice in London and I had to kind of move all the way up to Coventry, which is a hundred odd miles or so. And I struggled with living out, going to this new place, not being able to see my friends or family for weeks on end, kind of dealing with the on cause. And I never was able to really switch off and get rest until I came home and slept in my own bed, if that makes sense. So it was kind of dealing with that, learning how to be independent, learning how to look after yourself. I'm someone that has kind of been, you know, pampered, you know, since the day we were born, right? Kind of looked after, clean, all of that. So all of a sudden you're thrown out there. Not only are you learning how to deal with that, you also got the pressures of being an on-call. You're working nights, you're working weekends, and it's a difficult thing. I remember the one night towards the end of F1 and I was sitting there. Obviously, I didn't have many friends out there. I barely knew anyone. So a lot of the time I was at home or the flat I was living with. And I've kind of reflected on my journey and were like, you know, it's amazing to appreciate the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, we were these random kids that could have went either way. And, you know, we, we kind of worked hard, put our head down, got into med school, got through med school, kind of passing every year was a blessing in itself. And I thought, you know, Ams has been there from the very beginning. If anyone that knows my story is probably him. And I thought, why don't we share with other people? Why don't we just document our journey so we have a record of it so that we can look back and reflect on it? And I've never been tech savvy. I've never been into computers or video editing and stuff. So I thought maybe the best way and the easiest way is to do a podcast, kind of share it through audio and there doesn't much to take it. So I called Ams at two or three o'clock in the morning and I passed it on to what he was doing at the time. <laughs> and I was calling him consistently like to message, pick up, bro, pick up. I need to tell you something. I've got an amazing idea we should do. I told him not to call me because I'm on holiday in Mauritius, by the way. And I was actually asleep at the time and it was like 3 a.m. And he is not stopping. And then what happened was I thought, hold on a minute. What if Abdul's been kidnapped and I need to pay his ransom or something like that? Okay, fine. So I thought, okay, I picked up the phone and here we are. That was the birth of Scrubbed In. So we spent maybe the next hour or two talking about our journey, how we got into medicine, the things that we had to do, the struggle, the challenges, the beauty of it, the sweetness of it. And then essentially, we just shared it through a podcast and the unimaginable happened, which was that people turned up, listened to our podcast and then started sending messages in saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to apply for medicine tomorrow. Hey, you know what? I was feeling down until you released this episode. And then after listening to our story, it then changed. We brought on other guests. And then what happened was, thank you so much for bringing that guest on because they're from my background and I resonated with them. And it's always been between myself and Abdul that we believe firmly that we can change the world. We can impact the world together. But if we can do it together with the world, with others in place, we can change the world all together in one go and make an impact like that. So that's our vision. And yeah, we've just, we're on the journey still. We're nowhere near where we want to be, but we're definitely going along the right track. I think that's incredible because I've listened to some of your scrubbed in podcasts actually and and being from East London I know what it's like so yeah it was really really inspiring from the beginning I'm not a medic myself but I I wish I did hear you guys a while ago when I was studying I think I would have probably gone into medicine myself so tell us a little bit about like the different kind of streams that you use to educate the audience so I know a little bit about audio driven learning if I'm correct give us some insight into this kind of new platform that you guys are using 
So we start again, it was just a discussion between myself and Abdul. I think the first question is, why is podcasting so powerful? I think it's because you can read text, you can read blogs and things like that. But I think what it lacks is the intimate emotion that you can relay through it. When you listen to someone's voice, you're almost there with them. You can feel what they feel, whether it's sadness, whether it's joy. You, even if they're going through the challenge, you know the emotion that comes with that. So what happened was the podcast obviously uh, relayed emotion. And then we realized, what about education, right? When you, when you learn something, you can learn it from a, from a textbook, which is very emotionless, very static, doesn't engage much of the brain. But then when you, when you learn through audio, what happens is you can start to simulate and use sort of imagery to get the person to be put into that position. So with medical education, myself and Abdul, again, we've done everything together. We used to also run a society at university, and it was the uh, Medical Education Research Journal Society, a bit of a mouthful. Um, but we ran a peer-to-peer scheme there, essentially the generation ahead teaching the generation behind. And one key part of that model is to simulate and allow the generation coming through to feel like they're in that position. So it engages emotion, it sort of activates their knowledge bank so that they can then activate that and then physically put it out. So then we thought, you know what, let's just trial it. Let's just test putting simulated patient cases through the podcast as well. We'll do a midweek session where we just teach because we love teaching. And again, it was a response that we didn't imagine where people were like, oh my God, I, it felt like I was there. It felt like I was, I was treating that patient who was having an allergic reaction or a heart attack or uh, had a chest infection. And then we coupled it. What we did was we used Instagram quizzes to see whether it helps people consolidate it. And again, the same response. So what we, what we learned was essentially, Audio was this new thing that people didn't know about. People didn't try and taste until we sort of served it up to them. And once people tasted it, it was like, yeah, give me more. <laughs> give me more of that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that was the birth of sort of our pod cases idea. Mm-hmm. And pretty much every medic I know has a dream of starting up an app these days, but it's nice to see that you guys have actually done it. So could you tell us a little bit more about what the app actually is? So we were both passionate about medical education. We had an existing podcast and we were like, wow, audio is a very intimate way of communicating, of sharing ideas, sharing experiences. We did the first handful of pod cases where you get to imagine or hear the story of a patient who comes in right up into management. Then we kind of coupled it with a quiz and we thought the difficulty was there's medical cases interspersed with podcast episodes and it was getting a bit messy obviously this is all new to us we don't know how to do it it's the first time we're ever doing anything like this so we were thinking why don't we have a dedicated platform it might be a website it may be an app where it's solely on pod cases and quizzes that go alongside with them we thought let's do a website it's the easiest thing you can do and pretty much anyone can make their own website but we like the idea of learning on the go kind of a lot of people listen to podcasts on Spotify and they commute back and forth from med school, back and forth from work. We thought maybe it's better to go down the app route. We've had a bit of experience with tech, with med tech and whatnot. And it was, let's create a dedicated app that allows you to listen to a podcast and allows you to do a quiz. Then the difficulty came where it's like, we need to find a designer, let's design it. So we thought, you know what, this is a project, why don't we design it? So we designed the, the, the general layout of the app. We kind of defined first and foremost what we wanted it to rather than kind of building it and making it up as we go along. 
we were looking for like a developer at the end i knew a developer that had worked with previously on multiple projects and i said do you mind making us an mvp we just want to test out the idea and get it out there in in terms of terminology it's, it's basically outsourcing it so we outsourced it to a developer who built it we tweaked it it took us a while so whoever's involved in tech projects you may think it gets done in two months and only to later realize it took you four right <laughs> because there's so many iterations so many bugs so many things that need to be fixed and we got it out there. We've had an amazing response. We've had over a thousand downloads across both iOS and Android, and we're continuously putting new podcasts there. So that in itself was a learning curve, but I think just doing it, identifying what we wanted to do, we knew we had a vision and an aim, and we just went and did it. Um, there are still, you know, lots of mistakes. We're still learning a lot. But yeah, for anyone that's thinking of doing an app or a website or any sort of thing, just go for it. Do research. Try find like-minded people or individuals with a skill set that allows you to achieve that goal and just get started and put it out there that's great guys what's the drive it's like it seems like there's a lot going on there and there's like you've got so many things going on behind the scenes you've got family friends you know social groups all this kind of stuff and then you've got like a very full-on job as well as well as taking care of scrubbed in how do you guys do it and what's the drive and kind of what keeps you motivated if you like and how do you manage your time i think there's so many questions on there but to break it down, there's I think there's loads of facets and loads of reasons and fuel to to the actual drive of it. But one thing I think is a the love of education and the passion for it. I think that's always been there from the start of medical school, start from secondary school, college. I like seeing education as a door. You know, on the other side of that door is whatever you want. Whatever you want on the other side of education is there. And so being there as, as medics, as doctors, there's so many things that education can impact, can solve, can improve. And that's right the way from humanitarian charities, right the way to academics, right the way to the delivery of patient care, right the way to even looking after our medical professional colleagues. Now, the drive for that. So then we have our vision. As Abdul said before on the podcast, our we dream almost, you could argue, it's silly. We envision changing the world. We envision impacting the world. We envision connecting the world. And we firmly believe we'll do it. We'll firmly believe that we are going to achieve that. And that's another factor to the drive that we relentlessly are pursuing it. And then I think the passion in combination with the vision and starting to deliver is what keeps us going. So every day, Imagine every Sunday we get to sit with a with a an amazing individual on our podcast episode and they tell us about their journey. Even if no one on the planet wants to listen to our podcast, just us sitting there listening to them is enough because we benefit alone so much from them. The way they tell us about their challenges, their journey, how they had to break through certain barriers to bring forth their company or their charity or whatever it is. Um, so I think sitting with peers, sitting with mentors, sitting with other people who are on similar journeys keeps us going. And obviously the podcast, I think at the, at the heart of it has to be the podcast. I think it just keeps us going because we're around like-minded individual every single week. So we know that you guys are doing a lot on the side of being doctors and you've told us a little bit about how you make time. And I guess the answer to that last question was that I, I was trying to think as you were saying it, what would be the one one sentence answer to this question? And I kind of realized that it, it was it was actually pretty inspiring. 
I think that your answer was that the the thing that keeps you going is the work itself. So I feel like that's that's quite a, an important kind of reminder for for anyone who wants to do anything. Um, you know, it's that is the, there's like that cliche of just doing what you love. But I feel like you guys are, are like the living proof that that can actually be successful. And um, that kind of leads me on to my next question, which is that while we were researching you guys a little bit before this episode, we found out that you guys are part of the NHS Clinical Entrepreneurship Program. So could you please just tell us a little bit more about what that is and what it means? Luckily, this year, we were both fortunate enough to be accepted onto the NHS Clinical Entrepreneurship Program scheme. I applied for it while I was a fourth year with another medic. And unfortunately, I got to the interview stage, got grilled for 45 minutes by Tony Young, who kind of heads it. It was the worst interview of my life, harder than the med school interview. Because you're kind of talking about your idea, your concept, and you're talking about business and kind of the entrepreneurship side of things, which if you're not too familiar with it, is a bit difficult, which was the case for me at that time, having just been taught and trained in medicine. The NHS entrepreneurship program is essentially you having an idea or you having a solution to existing problems that the NHS faces to increase efficiency, to help improve patient lives, patient safety, upskill the workforce. We all know the NHS is so valuable to this country and it's limited in terms of resources. And this program is for entrepreneurs or problem solvers that have an idea, but they need that helping hand. They need mentorship. They need coaching and guiding in terms of making that idea reality to help people. And it's all about impact. It's how do you help not one person, two person, but thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And obviously, education was a big thing. We stumbled on the power of audio-driven learning, released podcasts, and thought, do you know what? This is such an effective modality of learning why don't we try to roll it out so all the medical students and all the junior doctors can learn from this and upskill in their learning? If you have better doctors, you're delivering better care and improves patient safety. And I want to talk about exposure and opportunities. Because we had an existing podcast and we are now sharing stories of people who have done amazing work, we were fortunate enough to get Professor Tony Young come onto the show itself. So he shared his story. He shared why they started the entrepreneurship program and he heard that idea and he kind of encouraged us to apply and said, this would be great. You know, it's the whole thing of you can go fast by yourself, but you need to be a team. Together, you can go further. And he's like, this will give you access to things that are very difficult to access and network and opportunities to test and kind of grow out your idea. So we applied and I don't know if it helped having him on the podcast and having kind of other individuals help us on their case, but we were awarded or kind of got accepted onto the program this year. So we're super excited. They have lots of pit stops, but they really help you scale your idea. Um, and it's a massive, massive learning curve. We're so junior in our careers. We're so junior in everything we do. We're just trying to learn as much as we can. That sounds brilliant. Is there something in particular that you're kind of focusing on through this entrepreneurship more that you're, you've, you've received? Is there something in particular you would like to share with us? Or is that, is that still on the wraps right now? It's not top secret. <laughs> we, can, we can release some of it. <laughs> I think at the core of what we're doing is education. Again, so at the core of education, what we want to do is we want to deliver medical education in a better way where the students are a happier, they collaborate more and they can deliver better care. You can get really wound up in the in the culture. You know, it's not very collaborative. It's very dog eat dog. And then you've got the increase in the poor mental health amongst medical students. And you can imagine that affects the delivery of patient care, how they'll perform as doctors and so forth. 
And the thing is, learning doesn't stop after medical school. It continues right the way to consultancy and then it will just continue till death essentially. So you're learning from cradle to the grave. So what we want to do is we want to essentially have more confident, better doctors to be able to deliver better care and they themselves are embedded in a healthier environment. That's what we want. Sounds exciting. Watch your space, guys. Definitely. So we've kind of talked about your journey from school to university and then being doctors. What's the one thing that you kind of take away from your journey as a student and how have you been kind of implementing that here as a doctor? The one piece of advice I would give to myself if I could go back and exist in medical students is you have a lot of free time while you're a medical student compared to when you're a fully working doctor's working difficult shifts, on calls, nights and weekends. The opportunities you have at university, at medical school, not only in terms of getting involved in society work, projects and network is so much greater than it is once you graduate because that circle shrinks very quickly. Everyone gets on with their lives. You're not in a very nurturing environment, right? You're a medic, you're kind of working and you give yourself a time out. You're like, you know, I've had a 12-hour shift. I'm going to sleep and it becomes a very easy cycle repeating it. I would say get involved in as many projects as you can while you're a junior, while you're at medical school or university and upskill yourself. Upskill yourself in as many different things as possible, be it design, be it tech, be it coding, be it you know, video editing, audio editing, whatever it is. You don't need to necessarily be able to become an expert in it, but familiarize yourself because the skills you pick up and the skills that we did pick up while at med school, I think Inverture has helped kind of grow scrub in and take it to where it is now and hopefully will help us take it even bigger. But it's say yes to as many opportunities. And only once you realize what you're really passionate about, what your true calling is, then narrow down. I think there's this concept of don't say yes to too many things. You stretch yourself too thin, stay focused on one thing, but you don't know what that one thing is. If you pick one thing and be like, no, it's going to work five, 10, 15 years, that might have never been your calling. You will never stumble on something you really enjoy. So within limits, say yes to as many opportunities at med school and you think you probably don't have the time, you do have the time. And remember, being a medic doesn't mean you have to revise 24-7. I did not revise 24-7 and I don't think it made me any less of a doctor. I think that's how you find that that job, that process that you enjoy and every day becomes that sort of joy in which people say, oh, it's not a job anymore. It's It's my hobby. It's because... They've exposed themselves to so many things. They know what they don't like, and then they're only left with the things that they love. And so naturally they fall into it. I think the risk, if you don't do what Abdul says, is that you think, all right, I definitely want to be a, let's say, a orthopedic surgeon. And you only do that thing. You don't expose yourself to anything else. And then what you later on realize is after years and years and years of developing that portfolio, getting only orthopedic relevant stuff is that, wait a minute, I don't enjoy this anymore. I enjoy medicine, not even surgery. You're never trapped. You're never trapped in life, I believe, but you've just wasted so much time that you have as a student, which is free time. Later on, it no longer becomes free. It's at a cost of, to something or someone usually. Yeah. And I think that reminds me of something that I kind of repeat as well, which is about the, the thing about having loads of time as a medical student. I've definitely been surrounded by a, a mixture of different medics, some that are like bookworms, spend 24-7 revising, and then others that are just like chilled, chilled, chilled. And I've, I've basically realized that I kind of stay somewhere in the middle where I pretty much 
uh, like you guys said, I do say yes to opportunities that come my way. But I feel like my number one priority with with opportunities and things like that is doing things that I find fun. And not because, not from like an immature point of view, but rather from a point of view where I know what keeps me motivated and what honestly keeps me motivated is something that's dynamic, different, and at the end of the day, fun. And just to speak to like a personal experience that I've gained from that is graphic design. So in school, we basically had a teacher that asked if someone wanted to make a poster for this event. I said, yes, sure, I'll do it. And then over the next few years, whenever graphic design roles were coming up, I just said yes to every single one. I think in my second year, I was doing like seven graphic design roles at one time. And, you know, like it was a ridiculous amount of things and I was so tired of it. But as a result, I ended up developing a lot of these graphic design skills and skills that at the time I was literally just doing for fun. And now they're things that I can genuinely like profit from if I want to, or otherwise just, it's just something that makes me stand out a little bit more from the other medics. So yeah, definitely some really good advice. And yeah, that was just my addition to it. I just do things that are fun. That would be my waterliner. But in terms of another question, I'm interested to know from you guys that there's this kind of movement online where doctors are showing that you can move away from medicine, still continue to be successful. You know, you can make more money as a YouTuber podcaster, management consultant, whatever you want to say. There's a lot of money in a lot of other things except for medicine and you can still be successful. You can still have a rewarding life. So I wanted to know what are your long-term goals and do they involve staying in medicine? In the long term for myself um, is that I always want to be a doctor. I, I think it is in the limelight where a lot of people are making a lot of money elsewhere, are doing a lot of other things outside of medicine. But I do want to make it clear being a doctor is so amazing. I don't think there is a single job in the world, right, where a patient will come in unwell, looks only to you as their savior, you do something. So for example, a patient who comes in acute heart failure, they can't breathe. All you do is prescribe some furosemide just because you know how that works. And next thing you know, they're comfortably breathing the relief they have on their faces when they're so relaxed. And then they turn around to you and they say, thank you for what you've done for me. I'm so grateful to you. Or another patient case that I had, which really will stick with me is that I picked up a case of uh, a case of dissection, an aortic dissection very early. And this patient was deteriorating very rapidly. And what happened was I had to transfer him from my center to a heart center. And it was a very, very severe dissection. He was deteriorating. And the crew were taking him away, the LAS crew, the ambulance crew. And he called me over quickly and he said to me, the words he said to me were, even if I die, thank you. Even if I die, thank you. Can you imagine? Like, I, I really like just teared up in front of my regs and consultants. And they were like, what's wrong with you, man? Get on. You've got another six hours of work to do. But that moment was incredible. No money, no job, nothing in the world could persuade a patient or a person to say that to you at that moment of time, right? And so just to reiterate, I think medicine is beautiful. So for all the medical students out there, sometimes we think, oh man, what, a, what an average career. It's not very respected. It's not very great. It is amazing. It is friggin' amazing. I love it. So I will always be, I hope... God willing, that I will always be a clinician. But I think I've pivoted a little bit. I always was that bookworm you talked about earlier on. <laughs> I was that one that worked 24-7. I thought I'd want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon or an uh, orthopedic surgeon after that. And then what happened was I started to expose myself to many different things. 
Ma was one of those things that exposed me to the beauty of education, the beauty of innovation, the beauty of applying your own ideas and concepts to change the world. And so then I started to experiment with that. And then Scrubbed In obviously came about. So the future for us is bringing forth an innovative educational platform that ideally makes care better for patients and provides better doctors. Better doctors are created from it. And I think through the podcast, we just want to keep on sharing stories forever. That's my goal. I do see this whole kind of trend on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram of everyone's becoming a consultant, medical students before, after graduate you know, go work for these couple of, you know, McKinsey or whoever it may be and um, not having the opportunity to practice. And, you know, YouTuber, I don't know if you saw that little table of, you know, the most highly liked job they want to do when they grow up is being a YouTube creator. I think for me, I enjoy medicine a lot. And I know the, the, the sweet spot for me is, and I hope I can get there, is to be able to work as a clinician, maybe for like a day or two and focus a lot of time and effort on scrubbed in and charitable projects i feel i'm someone that's always been a bit impulsive i love doing lots of things at the same time running around high energy being a clinician and kind of making that full-time role i feel i will be i'll enjoy it but i feel there'll be a lot more to life that i'm missing out and i have this kind of minimizing regret i want to be you know even if it's on my deathbed knowing that you know what i gave it a shot i did what i want to do and not have the regret of not pursuing something or not doing something so in terms of the future, we never know what the future holds, but I would like to see myself practicing as a clinician, being more senior, working my way up, becoming more specialized and kind of socializing education with what we're about to kind of work on and release soon. So yeah, I do hope to be a clinician, maybe in a part-time capacity as to a full-time one. That sounds incredible. It's nice to have um, doctors and nice to have professionals actually love their job. So that's really inspiring, guys, especially because now I'm in the working world and it's always kind of like a challenge of what, what to do next, I suppose. Yeah, it's just really incredible just to see how passionate you guys are and you guys are living the dream because that's what you kind of desired, I guess, when you were at school. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, that's really, really inspiring. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I just wanted to ask a little bit about going back to your journey of like 4K followers. You've got 4,000 followers on social media. So tell us kind of, does that mean anything to you? You know, there was always one thing that myself and Abdul said when we first started out, and that was, if we change one person's life, that's enough. Sometimes we do have to remind each other that, hey man, it's not about the numbers, because sometimes you do get caught in that trap. And I think all the YouTubers, all the podcasters, anyone who's a content creator, designer, newsletter writer, they get caught up in that, that, oh my God, like today I've only grown by 100 followers. Or some of the big guys, they complain about getting like 100,000 views only, and they usually get 2.5 million. And I actually tweeted this just the other day, and I said, if I could offer just a hundred people in the theatre and put you up in front of there weekly, would you jump in front of it? I think every single person would say yes to that opportunity. And I think even one person's attention and time, that's attention and time that they are not going to get back and they're giving it to you, right? So if they're listening to this podcast, if they're listening to our podcast or watching anyone's videos, that's time they're never going to get back. And I think we've always said, if we change one life, then that's enough. And um, we've got an fair few of messages. So we've probably done what we set out to do already. You changed two lives today. Me and Arifa are here smiling and nodding <laughs> up. For sure. <laughs> it's like going from watching Scrub to actually living the dream. Going from Scrubs to Scrubbed In, right? 
Yeah, and I think everyone should forget about the numbers and everyone should share their own story. I think everyone's got a unique journey. Everyone's got a unique family that they come from, a unique school that they come from. No one's got the same combination. So I think everyone should be sharing their story because you will resonate with someone around the world and they will say, thank you for changing my life. And that's it. You just need that one person. Wise words, guys. Wise words. The thing that you guys said about social media and content creation just being like a machine and the big, big creators still suffering from that. I think it reminds me of this video that I saw the other day by Matt Diavella. He said that everything is pretty much structured to make you focus on how many listens you're getting, how many views you're getting, how many subscribers you're getting. Everything that you guys have both said today really resonates with me because I feel like towards the start of this conversation, I was thinking, hmm, as a fourth year medical student where I am right now, what does the future hold for me? There are all of these different directions that I can go in. I can go through this for more money, this for a bigger audience, this for this, this for that, blah, 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 blah. But I guess what it comes down to is what is the most rewarding. And at the end of the day, you know, like you said, you gave that example of like two million watches instead of a couple hundred thousand. And I guess it's the same with everything else, money, etc. But I think nothing compares to that idea of genuine satisfaction in what you're doing in the here and now. So unfortunately, we are reaching the end of this episode. But just before we do that, I wanted to ask you guys, do you have any final words of advice or anything else that you'd like us to comment on? This whole podcast is about change makers and kind of having a global impact i genuinely believe we are all change makers we don't need to be an influencer we don't need to be verified or have a blue tick or we don't need to have hundreds of thousands of followers on social media or be a co-founder of a startup or be a medic or a high-flying lawyer banker we are all change makers in our own right we all have our own stories and journey and It's just about putting yourself out there, going and doing what you can within your capacity and within your realm. Just because everyone's becoming a YouTuber doesn't mean you need to become a YouTuber. Just because everyone's a startup founder and a CEO doesn't mean you need to go down that route. Find your calling. Find what you're passionate about and do something that you feel will benefit others, benefit society and benefit the community. Because that satisfaction and feeling of you genuinely helping someone or making someone's life easier or bringing about change is something nothing else compares to. No money, no amount of following in the world can compare to that. Um, just to follow on from that, I would say on the point that Abdul made on find your passion, to find your passion, expose yourself. So expose yourself to opportunities, expose yourself to people, to ideas, to, to expose yourself to the conversations that are happening around the world. What you'll find is that you'll find your sweet spot. And I think when you do, and then you just have to run with it. Wise words, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.